Hello and welcome to episode nine of Cop and Daughter. I'm Cop. And I'm Daughter. In this episode, we are going to be talking about the murder of John Bonet Ramsey, mm-hmm. which occurred in December of 1996. Yes. So, when were you born? October of 96. Yeah. So, that was the first thing that kind of hit me with this because it was it was certainly national news. Yeah. Do you remember this case yes. being on the news? I, I totally remember being on the news and I just remember being a dad of a new baby yeah. girl. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's, that was sort of the thing that, that just really hit me when all this was going through news is I couldn't imagine having a child, uh, that was murdered in at that particular time. It was truly like a whodunit. Mm-hmm. Didn't know, uh, who had killed her and the media was, was certainly, um, Presenting it as um, a, a possible intruder, yeah, had, which is is still, I think, a viable. But that's the way it was being reported then. It was not a lot of lot of information in terms of what the police were sharing, so the media was making their own story. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are what do you have for us in terms of John Bonet? So John Bonet was um, at the time of her death was a six year old beauty pageant, um, kind of celebrity, I guess. She was well-known in that scene of um, toddler pageantry. Um, and she, her mom, Patty Ramsey, was a former beauty pageant queen. Um, and so a- after having a daughter, she gets her daughter involved in the pageant world. And um, they take it pretty seriously, John Bonet had regular costumes made for her pageants and um yeah, it was just kind of a well known star for mm. um the pageant world. And um so the story with John Bonet is that on um December twenty sixth of nineteen ninety six there's a phone call made to the police where Patty is hysterical and saying, you know, my daughter is gone. She's been kidnapped. We can't find her. Um, so police show up to the house to start trying to locate John Bonet. Um, and in the process of starting the case, kind of the head officers leave because they had like basically like double booked themselves, um, and left a newer, officer on the scene who is not familiar with homicide detective work. She says to the family, like, go keep searching, look around the house. Um, and John Bonet is then found in the basement by her father dead. Um, and so the case is basically, yeah, a whodunit who is responsible for the death of John Bonet. And so the question is, um, was there an intruder at the house was it family related? Um, and to this day, it is still a cold case. They have not identified a suspect. Yeah. Nobody's actually been charged with it. And so, 
this is <laughs> as we talk about true crime stuff. Like I've I've concluded that this is going to be a central theme for me. And it's just the whole, like, you only get one chance to do it right the first time. Mm -hmm. And the cops consistently just do not do it right from the first time. Yeah. Now, granted, uh, you know, I have been policing, did my police work since all this stuff occurred. Mm -hmm. And maybe we benefited from getting to see what happens when you don't do it well in the first place and the media drags you uh, through... Uh, the dirt or for that matter, not even dragging, but when the media just starts reporting on every little thing that you're doing. And so, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so this was not handled well uh, from the get go. Uh, we talked about the disappearance of Madeline Kahn, McCann, 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 geez. <laughs> <laughs> so Madeline McCann. And I talked about how, when a child is missing, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're going to turn the house upside down to try to find them. Yeah. This one's a little bit different because what do the Ramseys have? Oh yeah, they have a ransom note. Yeah. So when she call, when Patty calls the police, um, part of the reason that she goes straight to kidnapping is because they had a ransom note. Yeah. And so I know there's a phone call that's supposed to be made. Mm-hmm. They give them kind of like an hour window or two hour window where they're expecting a phone call, and so they 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 gather at the house Mm -hmm. waiting for this phone call. And to me, that is just like the first thing that should have been done is that house should have been emptied Mm -hmm. of everybody in it. And, you know, even if they're expecting this phone call, um, you could potentially have dad there and the police there, but nobody else. Cause Mrs. Ramsey starts calling family and friends Mm -hmm. and people start gathering in there and that should have never been allowed to happen. Yeah. Uh, they are responding to a house where there's a ransom note for a kidnapping of a six-year-old child. Mm -hmm. That entire house is a crime scene. Right. And nobody should be able to touch anything or do anything. And then, so, so yeah, so entire house becomes a crime scene. You leave there. And and even in that, I think you can say, like, do you have a friend that will allow? Because you know they did. You know right. they had. You know yeah. they had a friend that would allow everybody to do exactly what they did at their house mm-hmm. uh, that happened at the Ramsey's house. And so, then I think the other thing that you 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 truly do is is you document every inch of that house. Yeah. And again, it's you know I can armchair quarterback. I can hindsight being twenty twenty on this, but. Like you have somebody actually claiming that their child was kidnapped with a ransom note. Like that happens never. Yeah. Like literally that happens never. Like the number of times that somebody actually kidnaps a child and leaves a ransom note. Mm -hmm. You could probably (laughs) count on one hand in the United States. Um where where that is that has actually happened so mm-hmm. um yeah so they find her body they bring it upstairs and so we go from it being a kidnapping with a ransom note there's no phone call made and now we have a dead child a mm-hmm. dead 6 year old um what are your what do you got what are your thoughts from there um my initial shock was um, 
when the dad found his daughter, mm-hmm. he brought her upstairs, so removed her from the crime scene in essence, or yeah, where her dead body where was. Where her dead body was found. Yeah. Brought her upstairs, laid her in front of everyone, and then proceeded to cover her with a sheet. Yeah. So, like, you move her body from the position it was found in, you further contaminate her body with more DNA, more fabric fibers, and then even further do that by laying the sheet on top of her. Mm -hmm. And I know that we don't always think clearly in those moments of hysteria, but I just felt like that to me was like, I don't know that I feel like that's as innocent as I was panicked and didn't know what to do. So I picked my daughter up Mm -hmm. and brought her upstairs. Like, that felt a little bit intentional of like he knew what he was doing by removing her from the basement and taking her upstairs. Yes. So you mentioned talking um, or you mentioned them putting the, 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 the blanket over her, the sheet over her. Um, so there's a thing called low cards principle mm-hmm. and it holds that anybody who commits a crime will bring something into the crime scene and they will leave with something from it. Mm. And both of those can be used as forensic evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Edmund Locard, who had this, actually lived in the 1800s and the early 1900s. Well, he okay. died in 1966. Uh-huh. But it's something that we hold uh, true today and that every contact leaves trace evidence. Uh, so the fact that dad put this sheet on her and the fact that he removed her from where he found her dead interferes with all that. Yeah. And the reality is, is, is she clearly dies in the house. Right. So there's going to be DNA and fingerprints from mom there. There's going to be DNA mm-hmm. and evidence from ben- John Benet there. There's going to be that for dad. There's going to be that for brother. So anything outside of that most likely would have come from an intruder right. of some sort. Right. Which, to my recollection, they don't ever find any additional DNA in the house. <laughs> so there's 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 DNA in her underwear. Oh, And yes. she was sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. But there's not, like, semen right. from a sexual assault. So, right. Um, <laughs> and honestly, when that, by the time that truly comes into play, I think it is so... So many errors and blunders have been made mm-hmm. that it is hard to. I, you know what I, I I if if they found there was DNA on her pajamas under her fingernails, they can identify a perpetrator. He confesses to it. That would be absolutely wonderful. Yeah, I don't believe that's what happened. Yeah, I and I'll be the first person to say I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. If that ends up being the case, but I don't think that's what happened. Yeah. Um. So, how how did so do you recall the autopsy? What 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 things do we learn about John Bonet's body during the autopsy? Um. So we learned that um she was sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. There was she was um like choked or suffocated mm-hmm. using. A broken paintbrush and 
was it like rope or something? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like twisted like a yeah, tourniquet. So. Twisted like a tourniquet. So it basically like ensures that the person will asphy- asphyxiate. asphyxiate. Yeah. Um, and then they had also found undigested pineapple in her stomach, which meant that she had eaten right before she had been killed. Yeah. Um, and the thing with the pineapple is that when they go and look back at the crime scene photos, there was a pine, a bowl of pineapple on the kitchen table Mm -hmm. from that night. Yeah. She also had another injury. Oh yeah. It was like a blunt force trauma. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically she, she had like a, a, an eight inch to nine inch fracture in her Mm -hmm. skull, which probably didn't kill her, but then the, the strangulation did. Right. So, yeah. So when they, they go and they examine this bowl of pineapple, are there fingerprints? Is there anything from anybody else other than a family member on that bowl? I can't remember. No. I didn't not. think so. Yeah, yeah. There's there's nothing but anybody in the house. So, <laughs> so. Which could, like, could you make the argument that, like, if someone was wearing gloves? Sure. Okay. Yeah, and like and, that's and not ruled out. The other thing that you could argue is is that the pineapple happened. They got home. She said, "I'm hungry." They gave her pineapple. Right. She, I, I mean, undigested pineapple. I mean, yeah. Except for the fact that no one in the family can remember giving her pineapple. Yeah. So they say. So they say. So that's that is that is odd. Um. It, anyway, so. The reality is, is that an intruder would have had to have woken her up in the middle of the night. They are gone all day Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. It is plausible that somebody got into the house while they were gone during the day. Mm -hmm. So somebody getting into the house could be, have been unheard. And there's like a window that somebody could have fit through. There was a broken window. I mean, Mm -hmm. there, there's some, but it didn't really rise to... You can tell when somebody has gone through a window recently. Right. And I do believe that as much as the the cops messed up in this, it didn't have that appearance of being freshly disturbed. Like, I think they could look at it and go, yeah, that window's broken. Technically, it's open, but it's covered in cobwebs. It's covered in dust. It's Mm -hmm. covered in snow. You know, there's things that just would have been like... No one's been in it recently. Nobody's been in in there recently. So let's say... They leave the door unlocked and somebody manages to get into the house while they're gone all day and waits until they go to sleep. That's like one of my biggest fears. <laughs> <sighs> I did it just the other day. I I took your brother to physical therapy and came back and realized I'd left the back door open. Uh-huh. And and again, like in the moment, I don't care. But then like when you're going to bed that night, you're like, you're like oh, okay. Shit. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I even kind of like, I'm like wondering about is... Uh, did any animals get in the house? Uh-huh. <laughs> so I can, like be woken up by a squirrel at oh two o'clock gosh. in the morning. All right. Anyway, the fact that the crime occurs within the house doesn't jive mm-hmm. with the note that is left. Right. Like either commit the crime and leave, take her, leave the note. Mm-hmm. Why is there why is there a ransom note? Yeah. I think one of the like dead devil's advocate points that they make is like 
someone wrote the note and took her with the intent to kidnap and then something went wrong in the process. And so then they were like, I'm just going to kill her. But even then, for me, it's like, how could all of that happen and no one else in the house woke up? Right. Like, I feel like you would sense, like, even if you're asleep, I feel like you would wake up just sensing that something was off. Yeah. But I've never experienced that, so I can't (laughs) say for sure. Yeah. Um. So we talk about like ransom notes and kidnappings happening almost never. Well, the other thing is, is this ransom note is an ex- like a lengthy ransom note. It's like three pages. And it's written on stationery from the house. Mm-hmm. And it provides a lot of details. Mm-hmm. That is not how ransom notes go. Right. Uh, again, that doesn't mean that somebody in the family necessarily did it. Mm-hmm. But even in that, why does somebody that kills John Bonet puts her in the in the in the basement feel the need to write this detailed three page ransom? Well, that note? takes time. Yeah. Like you would have been in the house for a decent amount of time to try to find the stationery and then write three pages of instructions. Yeah. Well, and it even says we're like a small faction of mm-hmm. Well, the number was very specific. It was the ransom amount was what one hundred and eighteen thousand dollars, which, which is, also equaled the exact amount that um, that father had gotten as a Christmas bonus that yes. year. So it was either someone that was like close to the family that would have known, or someone in the family. But, yeah, the amount of detail and the length of the ransom ransom note and the fact that it was written on stationery from the home was intriguing. Yeah. Well, and that, so for me, (laughs) this is where I kind of land. That, to me, indicates that that was a family member. Mm -hmm. And then even a professional uh, reviewing the ransom note examining the the ransom note says that it matches characteristics of the The mom. mom. Yeah. It had like over 200 similarities. Yeah. So, you know, you start putting all of this together and I'm not, I do not necessarily believe that they went home on Christmas night and anybody wanted John Benet dead. Right. Yeah. I don't think that, happened. Uh, do I think it was an accident? I do. Mm -hmm. I do think it was probably, uh, if it was a parent, it was a fit of rage. And and when I say parent, I mean the mom and not the dad. Yeah. And, uh, I suppose that the brother could have done that. Mm -hmm. Um, but the fact that her skull was cracked, Mm -hmm. I don't believe that a child would have been able to do that to the same degree that an adult Adult would have been. And the ligature around her throat was obviously done by a parent. Yeah. Or by an adult. By an adult. Yeah. Yeah. Now, 
how we get to that point, I do not understand. If it, if it was the mom, mm-hmm. I, I just, I don't know how they get to that point. I do. I just do not understand. Yeah. Um, how that occurred. Um, so. Yeah. So yeah. initially the parents are the first suspects. Mm-hmm. Um, and police interview them and have some pretty lengthy interrogation sessions. Um, but ultimately can't ever, um, they don't come up with enough evidence to mm-hmm. take either one of the parents or the brother into custody. Um, and then I think there were like, I think did it end up being like three other suspects? There was the Santa guy. Mm-hmm. There was like a family friend that had attended the Christmas party as Santa. Yeah. And she would have, JonBenet would have trusted him. Right. So she, had he been an intruder in the home, she probably would have gotten up with him willingly mm-hmm. and not made a fuss about being with him. Yeah. Um, and then the other suspect was a guy. I can't remember who called and said, like, we have a guy that we think might be a suspect, but he was arrested somewhere else. This all took place in Boulder, Colorado. So this other suspect was arrested somewhere else, and in his backpack, they found a love note to John Bonet and a stun gun, um, which in the autopsy they had found marks on John Bonet that matched the marks of a stun gun. And so that was kind of where they like went with that of like, he's got a stun gun that matched the marks on her body. Um, I don't fully remember why they were both like ruled out as not. Do you remember? I I honestly don't. So are you talking about the guy that confessed to killing her? So there was a guy like in between, the Santa and the guy that confessed. Yeah, so, you know, I, I think it ultimately just boils down to the evidence doesn't point to it. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not confessing. Yeah. And so, you know, they probably have an alibi, somebody that can vouch for they where they were. That's what the, the second guy I was talking about. He, I think he had an alibi yeah. that didn't put him in Boulder. Yeah. And yeah. so that's just, you know, there, there's those kinds of things of like we've talked about before. You try to rule people out too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the other thing, so you mentioned the stun gun being, I do not know every kind of stun gun mm-hmm. that is out there. It's That's essentially like a taser, right? Well. Or are they different? They're different because a stun gun, all that a stun gun does is create... It's not like on the TV show where you hit somebody with a stun gun and they lock up and they hit the ground. That does not happen. A stun gun is very painful. And so the purpose of a stun gun is to get somebody to get away from you. It's not going to. So it's what they call neuromuscular incapacitation Mm -hmm. is what happens when you get hit with a taser. Gotcha. And when when you get hit with a taser the probes that go into your body actually expand out. Yeah. And the farther out they are, the farther of a spread between them, 
the better they are at locking up your muscles and causing you not to be able to move. And mm-hmm. so I've seen tasers deployed where there wasn't enough probes spread and it didn't lock anybody up. And then there's also what they we call a drive stun where you don't deploy the probes and you just hold it against somebody right. and you, it doesn't lock them up. It just makes people mad. Gotcha. Now, using a stun gun or a taser or something like that on a six-year-old, you know, just because somebody used it doesn't mean, like, they don't necessarily know that it's not going to do Mm -hmm. what they want it to do. Um, So the other thing that my experience has been is that they don't leave the marks that I saw. Mm Mm-hmm. In the documentary. That looks like a burn almost. Like and, and it I mean, you can do that and uh-huh. somebody could hold it there too long. Uh-huh. Um that honestly to me just like was one of those things. And again, you never want to dismiss any kind of evidence and we're completely dependent on a documentary to sharing that with us. But the whole stun gun thing just really didn't mean much to me. Yeah. It doesn't mean I, I think you mentioned this. The family could have had one used it on her. And still gotten rid of it mm-hmm. in the time that, <laughs> right, that the police were called. So, yeah. Um. So then there's that third suspect who was the guy that like confessed mm-hmm. to having killed her, and initially he like called under a like f- um, fake an name, alias, an yeah. alias. Thank you. Um, I can't remember. It started Daxis. Yes. Yep. I think. Yeah. Um, so he called and was like requesting to talk to the lead investigator guy. And um, through the phone calls, they were able to track him to a guy in Bangkok, Thailand. Um, so he was eventually arrested and taken into custody by the U.S. Yeah. And he had details about of the, the case crime scene yes, that-, that weren't super public knowledge, right, yeah. but. Could have, I think they said later in the documentary, like, if you dug deep enough, you could have found. I would say, so I, I attended training 10 years after John Bonet, so 2006. And I know by 2006 that crime scene photos, details of the crime scene had been leaked out and people... Yeah. Like that were interested enough in obtaining that information could have gotten it. Now I think he was maybe 2004. Yeah. I, I just don't think it, it was that unreasonable that he could have had crime scene information mm-hmm. by that point. Yeah. Um, Particularly if he's like in a pedophile. Yes. On the dark web. Yeah. Some of that stuff was probably shared there. Yeah. Um. So he was later ruled out. Yeah. Just a nut. Like, yeah, like they, I think just kind of looking for the attention. Yeah. Of, they could not put, they couldn't even put him in Boulder, Colorado yeah. like at the time. Yeah. Um, and he even got more airtime with the little document, document, document. I know he was on there even more. And which I thought was just funny because he was like talking about how his arrest was a mistake and he was about to get accused of. Yeah. Murder and when he was like, but I didn't even do it. But it's like, but you're the one that confessing to have done it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that makes it difficult because, you know, I I think they've had like 21,000 leads 
on this case. I think there's been a number of different things that it just, as, as it becomes a, you know, as it makes the news and it becomes a worldwide deal, more and more people start sharing. And I mean, people will literally call in the tips hotline and be like, I had a dream last night thinking that they're helping the investigation. So, um, so yeah, so this is this is unsolved. It's still mm-hmm. it's still technically a, a cold case. Um, anything that you wanted to hit on about the initial investigation, kind of in those first years and suspects or anything like that? I just was like the more that we dive into different cases and like talk about this stuff, the amount of times that crime scenes are disrupted yeah or not thoroughly and investigated is just mind-boggling to me like they had friends over to the house cleaning up the kitchen cleaning up the pine the bowl of pineapple that was a piece of evidence in the case and so i think it's just frustrating to me that like it could have been solved if like a proper protocol had been followed with preserving the crime scene. Well, I, I, I will tell you this. I, I think that this being Boulder, Colorado, the Ramseys being affluent members of the community, um, they were never going to be tried and convicted. Mm. Even if, I mean, there would really have to be some solid, solid evidence, but yeah. I just don't think that what is going to happen. Um, cleaning is an absolute clue when you're on scene as an officer and somebody feel somebody feels obligated to clean. Mm-hmm. Not only do you need to tell them to stop, mm-hmm. but you need to pay attention to that. Like you need to note mm. this is an interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that stands out to my mind in my mind was we. I had a. a Somebody in my the town where I worked reported their gun being stolen out of their vehicle. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason for me to expect anybody other than the fact that this truck was parked in his driveway overnight. He couldn't say that it was locked definitively and then notices the next day that this gun is gone. Well, he had an employee, and, and this is this is at his house, and the employee's mm-hmm. at the house. And as I'm taking his report, the employee comes towards the truck with a bottle of Windex. Oh, my gosh. uh, Paper towels and, like, opens the door and starts to go in the truck. And, I mean, I'm literally like, whoa, what are you doing? He's like, well, I'm going to clean the truck. And I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) there's no flipping way. Like, you are not, like, and... Uh, he ended up being the suspect. He had stolen the gun. Interesting. But his desire to, while the cop is standing there in the driveway. Uh, like, I just, it's like, I just can't imagine putting yourself in a position like that to, like, interfere with an officer doing his job. Yeah. Yep. That is... But but that's the, the the like but that's like your body kind of betrays you sort of thing. Yeah. Your, your your mind betrays you. There's 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 kind of two different. Some people will try to separate themselves from the crime scene, and then mm-hmm. some people will try to do something to cover that evidence when mm-hmm. it's becoming clear that things are 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 starting to point to them. 
Is it so, ever like, because I feel like being an anxious person or just like a generally nervous person that my nerves would make it seem like I'm more of a suspect than I actually would be in a situation. Is that possible? Or are police officers generally trained enough to know the difference between like general nerves and nervous because you have a guilty conscience? So everybody is nervous on a traffic stop. Mm -hmm. I, I don't care who you are. Even if you're a cop and you get pulled over, you have some nerves mm-hmm. on a traffic stop. Everybody is nervous. And, and maybe a better way to say it is, is there's a shot of adrenaline. Yeah. So yeah. if a cop pulls you over, there's kind of like this, you know, heightened anxiety that, that comes about. And, um, I would just say it is not so much that cops have been trained to look for that, mm-hmm. but you can just tell a difference when somebody is mm-hmm. truly nervous versus anxious and it it man it's just magnified in terms of their behaviors and what they see um you know i'm guessing you probably don't sweat over anxiety per se like you're not like having beads of sweat rolling on no it's usually like claiming hands yeah so somebody that's committed a major crime and is being investigated for it and they're like sweating Mm. in like a normal room yeah like you're like okay there's more to it so yeah I think it's a combination of you get trained and it is just so much more mm-hmm. intense than a typical yeah. panic attack or anxiety. So, yeah. but all right. Well, I think that's all that we have with the John Bonet. Uh, it is an incredibly sad story. Again, uh, this is one of the few where I'm going to say, I think it was the mom mm. and <laughs> I, 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 if I get proved wrong, I'll admit that I'm wrong. But yeah. Too many things to me point to the mom uh, having done this or at least playing a major role in it if it was the brother. Yeah. And um, one of the things we didn't mention is she does die. She yes. dies of cancer relatively short period of time. Mm-hmm. And I won't give any commentary on that, but um, I think she brought it on herself. So... <laughs> Um, (laughs) anything else? I think we said it all. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to episode nine of cop and daughter. I'm cop and I'm daughter. Stay safe. Public to help find him. We should know for you. You may find this footage disturbing.